brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all. And yes, and thanks to Brandt, uh, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Uh, they are doing wonderful things uh, at the moment, trying to help people in need out seriously with vehicles, equipment, um, advice. Uh, so, Brent, thank you very much uh, for that, and uh, thanks for being associated with the show today, which uh, will take us through to midday. First up, uh, we're going to be talking to Sean Gill. Sean is the Wellington Phoenix Director of Football, oversees the development side of things, the women's and the men's Phoenix team. So, uh, look, how's he enjoying his job, and uh, how does he see this season so far? Uh, Wellingtonian uh, Liz Green is uh, New Zealand's uh, cricket head of women's high performance. Now, I think it's a good time to actually talk to um, um, someone in the know about women's cricket in New Zealand because I don't think it's going that well. I'll be honest with you, I don't think it is, and uh, we're going to get to the bottom of it, or try to, just to see where the future lies because uh, the last two World Cups have been most disappointing, we know that, and um, New Zealand have uh, not played well. What is, uh, what is around the corner? What is the programme going forward as we look to launch and rebuild? Right, uh, after 10 o'clock, um, we'll preview the test match between New Zealand and Sri Lanka, which uh, starts, weather permitting, today at uh, Hagley Oval. Now, I've noticed um, on the forecast this morning, uh, some, uh, there's a heavy rain warning for Canterbury over the next uh, couple of days. That's not a good sign. But also, I've, I've also seen the sh- uh, forecast which has, has showers with a bit of sunshine on it. So uh, anyone that's in the uh, Canterbury region, anyone that is in the Christchurch region, uh, double eight double three, double eight double three. just give us a weather update. That would be great. Double eight double three uh, on our Temper Bedpost text line. If you're in the Christchurch region, Central City, you're around about to Hagley Oval somewhere, just give us a weather update. That would be absolutely perfect. We'd really appreciate that. Um, I'll have a panel this morning. Haven't had one for a couple of days, but we will this morning with Brendan Bradford and Aidan McLaughlin. And we'll uh, talk just after 11 o'clock uh, with Nathan Strempel. Nathan was on the show the other day, and uh, we got him back. It was so damn good. We got him back. Uh, he's, of course, a basketball commentator on SCN and SENZ, uh, and uh, we shall uh, get his views because uh, it's a really big game tomorrow night. Uh, can the Breakers go to Sydney and do it again? Couldn't do it at home. Uh, we will have uh, a stump smithy around about uh, 11.30, and we'll head to the sports desk, of course, throughout the morning too with Logan Swinkles. Ah, trendy start to the morning. The Wellington Phoenix are hosting Sydney Football Club at Eden Park. Yes, Eden Park this Sunday. It's an A-League clash that sees the fifth and sixth place teams vying for valuable points on the ladder. Phoenix at just three points behind second place Western Sydney. It's sure to be a tight race to the finish. The women's side also plays Sydney this Saturday in Sydney. Uh, Natalie Lawrence's uh, side uh, looks to avenge last month's wonderful defeat to the same side. Now, Sean Gill oversees both sides, plus the academy. Uh, he is the club's director of football, and he joins us now this morning. Sean, thanks for your time. Good morning, Ian. No problem. 
Look, first, first year in the job, uh, how are you finding it? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, been good. Uh, we had a little bit of a hiccup uh, in the uh, around Christmas time with it. Uh, we had a, a, an issue with our kit man with some injuries that he sustained, uh, and then uh, our football operations manager, who's come in to take over the role, Jake Piper, who came out in New Zealand football, couldn't start till the first of February. So I sort of got stuck doing a bit of everything uh, over that period, but uh, finally both guys are, are back on uh, deck, and um, yeah, really starting to turn attention to you know how we're going to how we're going to drive the club forward across all three different facets of it. In that, Sean, uh, what are the biggest challenges as director of football? Um, what are the biggest challenges? Um, yeah, I think uh, one of the big ones at the moment is, is really sort of getting our head around uh, how the women's game works, uh, you know, and how we're going to really drive that one forward. Um, obviously, last season, yeah, the first season in there, the, the women were based in uh, Wollongong and, and the men were based in Chatswood, you know, so it was almost like the uh, the Wollongong Phoenix and the, and the Chatswood Phoenix, you know, and now we've sort of got both parties back together. Uh, in Wellington this year, so you know it's sort of really getting alongside Nat and the team and, and the players and her coaching staff, and you know just getting a firm grasp and understanding of, of the women's game. You know how it works. You know what are the differences and uh, to the men's game because you can't just treat it like you know it's a it's a you know try and run everything like you're running the men's team in the in the women's space. You know so. So that's probably you know, the biggest challenge at the moment is just getting our heads around you know, exactly how that program is going to work, You know how we sort of shift it uh, further and further to, I guess, a more full-time 12-month operation than the, than the sort of 29 weeks it is this season and potentially 35 weeks that they're moving to next year. Sean, uh, we, we, we were encouraged by their performance last year, bearing in mind that they are a, a very young group of, uh, of women who were spending predominantly their whole life away from home trying to forge this uh, team forward. Uh, this year, of course, they've had the benefit of some home action, some spanking new facilities to train and etc. So I think if we look at it, it might be classed from the outside looking in as a little disappointing. How do you how do you view the season this far? Yeah, look, I think I, I think there's a number of factors that probably need to be considered in all this that that for me probably don't don't sort of categorise it as a disappointing season, but but actually one that I think we're starting to see some real improvement and and, and potentially you know the sort of season that that, that it was always going to be. Um, yeah, they were they were late into pre-season. There were some late decisions around uh, you know the, the the coaching structure set up, you know, contracting players. Uh, and then, yeah, it was only a four-week pre-season, right? And then within that four-week pre-season, there was a there was a camp, well, at least one camp for the for the ferns where they lost a lot of players. Um, so it was really disjointed, you know. And if I think about the men's program, you know, you, you have a pre-season of sort of what, anywhere between uh, yeah up to twelve weeks. Uh, so there's plenty of time to get the players fit. And I think over those first sort of three three or four games. You saw the team probably struggling a little bit uh, with legs, you know, and that's just the nature of, of not having enough games in the preseason and enough time in the preseason. I think since then, you know, we've probably seen a team that is now, you know, obviously they've got some points on the board, uh, which, is, which, is, which is pleasing earlier than what they did last time. And I think you're also now starting to see a team that is a lot more competitive in games. You know, if you look back to the Sydney FC game a couple of weeks, uh, a weekend ago in Auckland, you know, it was a it was a, it was a very very good performance against one of the one of the top teams in the league. You know, uh, and you know, it's a, a set piece goal, 
you know, they probably should have got something out of it. And again, I think it was a it was a stunning performance against uh, Brisbane on the weekend. Uh, just gone in Wellington, you know, they they outpossessed Brisbane by by significant numbers. You know, shots by significant numbers. You know, um, percentage of of pass completion was was unbelievable. Just lacked that little bit of sort of killer instinct in the final third. You know, so I I I don't categorise it as disappointing. I think we're seeing some good improvement. You know, we're seeing some young players that are now you know getting more and more game time, and I think it's only healthy for the for, for the team going forward. Okay, uh, thanks for that. We we look at the uh, Phoenix Academy, of which, uh, of course, you oversee as well. Tell us, tell us a wee bit about how that's structured and how it works for the young people coming through. Yeah, so we have uh, we've got uh, up to eight teams now in the academy this uh, this current season, which is the the biggest it's been. Uh, that now includes both boys and uh, girls. So we've got five teams in the uh, boys space. Uh, which includes the reserve team in the uh, in the Central League here in, uh, in in the Wellington competition, and then that branches out into the National League competition, uh, and then four other teams below that. Uh, and then in the girls' space, uh, we've got uh, three teams now, uh, which we're really pleased about, and has had some good collaboration with Capital Football and the local clubs in Wellington to get that across the line. Yeah, which we're very thankful and, and pleased for. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully some some good news coming out in the next couple of days around uh, competition structure for them both the, you know the, uh, within Wellington and, and nationally. So it's yeah, it's becoming a big piece now. Uh, we've got Paul Temple who sits over there in the as the academy director running that, and then you know we've got some very very good coaches uh, across all the teams. So yeah, concern <laughs> ten years ago when I first came in the club, we had a. <coughs> A professional team, men's professional team, and we were just starting to look at that football school of excellence. And uh, the club has come a, a massively long way in, in the last ten years to the point we are now with a, you know, a women's team in the A League, a men's team, and, and eight teams across the academy, and and, and and what we consider now a very very good pathway for New Zealand players to come through the system, either into professional football with us, or, or hopefully onto bigger and better things overseas. You know, and seventeens, twenties, and twenty threes for New Zealand. Sean, uh, nationwide, uh, like other sports, do you have sort of a, a scouting system or a scouting network for young players? Yeah, we do. Uh, a lot of our coaches uh, within the academy structure are also involved in uh, New Zealand football uh, age group teams uh, and all come from sort of areas around the country where they have very, very good networks or worked in, uh, worked in federations, you know, at, at uh, different places around the country. So, you know, by nature of New Zealand not being the biggest, uh, biggest, biggest pot of people in the world, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's one that we're able to establish some very, very good networks and, and, and keep tabs on, on, you know, the, the, the good up and coming players coming through. Yeah, we run various, uh, camps, discovery camps during the year where, where, where players get an opportunity to come in and, and have a look at the facilities, you know, both from an A-League level now with what we've got at, uh, NZCIS and, and what the academy have. Um, and those players all sort of have to be ticked off by a coach to sort of say, you know, they, they are a potential for the academy. So, you know, we have we have various various strategies in place that, that allow us to keep tabs on, on, on the best players or hopefully the best players coming through the, uh, in the country. Right, OK, let's uh, look now at Phoenix. A terrific signing of uh, Oscar Zavada. Uh, did you have any, uh, out of Poland, did you have any idea that uh, he'd net the, le- the, the number of goals when you signed him? Uh, yeah, I guess if you look back at his CV, right, there's, there, there wasn't a lot of goals in there uh, uh, in recent time. 
Uh, I think if you go back to some of his stuff as a as a as a, a young guy coming through the system, you know, through Poland and, and in Germany, uh, he was banging in goals for fun, you know. So there was always go- there was goal scoring in his past. Um, a lot of the time, these guys just need to find the right environment for them, you know, the right coach for them, the right structure for them in terms of playing style uh, of the team. And I think it's all come together nicely for for Oscar, you know. And we're we're absolutely thrilled for him and thrilled for the club that he's scoring the goals he is. Right. Uh, last week, uh, news from the club, which was uh, a little concerning anyway, was uh, that uh, three uh, high-profile players and uh, Oli Sale, Clayton Lewis and Stephen Urgarkovic won't be re-signing with the club. Oli in particular is a, a big fan favourite. Um, so how are you going to minimise the loss of, of those players? I mean, you, are you looking in the market already? Um, our, I guess retention of our players is the most critical thing first and foremost for us. So there are a couple of other players, obviously, uh, in our squad that we're, we're talking to now that we, we want to sort of hopefully tie down. Uh, and then once that becomes clearer, then that sort of sets, I guess, the, the, the picture around what budget's remaining, uh, you know, what positions we potentially need to, or what position we potentially need to look at with that remaining visa plan. Um, so, so at the moment, retention's probably more critical than recruitment. Uh, and, and, you know, once, once the, the final bits of the jigsaw happen with, uh, hopefully these last, couple of retentions that we want to do, then we'll start turning our attention to, to what we need to do to, to pad the rest of the squad out. What are the incentives you offer for overseas players? Is it the New Zealand uh, lifestyle? Is it, I mean, financially, do we have the same budgets um, to attract players here? Um, in, in regards to our player budget, you know, we, we, we're not at the top there. We, you know, we're not com- competing with the likes of Sydney and Melbourne City and the, well, the Melbourne clubs and, and, the, and the bigger end Sydney clubs. You know, we probably sit uh, middle to, to lower part of the table as far as that. Um, but I think what we do and what we can offer is obviously a fantastic lifestyle. You know, uh, people might say Windy Wellington, you know, but uh, this summer's been absolutely incredible for those that spend a lot of time here. They'll know how good it's been, you know. So, as they say, you can't beat Wellington on a good day. And, and most of our visa players, once they get to Wellington, you know, particularly Bodhi uh, Dakraev, <coughs> Jan Sass and, uh, and um, Zavada, Oscar Zavada this season, they all fell in love with the city as soon as they, they arrived, you know. So we do have that. <coughs> and, you know, these guys are all talking to players that have either been in the league or, or been to the club previously. So that obviously helps. Uh, and now we have this absolutely amazing facility at NZCIS, which, uh, you know, we, we're... In, in the case of recruiting Oscar and, and uh, Bojida uh, and Jan, you know, we made a, a videos available to them of the facility, you know, walkthroughs and, and that type of thing to, to help as a selling point for the club. So uh, tell us about that uh, facility and, and who you share it with. I mean, do you have an opportunity as... Uh, and your role to um, to trade ideas with other codes? Yeah, so um, the facility is, is, is world-class, right? It's uh, Danny Townsend from APL CEO was out here on the uh, weekend for the game, uh, and uh, our general manager, David Jones, took him through the facility. You know, he said it is uh, better than anything in Australia. Uh, and then also our academy facility down the road uh, from Upper Hutt at uh, the Rico Centre, uh, Fraser Park, is... He said, again, outstanding. Yeah, so we've probably got the best facilities uh, uh, in the league and, and potentially you know, throughout Australasia. So we're very, very lucky from that extent. 
Uh, we obviously share the facility with the Hurricanes, uh, which is, yeah, it's been absolutely magnificent. Couldn't have gone any better than what we thought. I've actually got a meeting next week with uh, Tony Philp, the uh, GM of rugby here, uh, around some ideas, <laughs> that, you know, looking at how they structure some of their departments <clears throat> and what we could potentially learn off them. Um, and on a daily basis, you know, we're, we're, we're greeting each other in the morning, you know, yeah, wishing each other luck, you know, talking about games over the weekend, you know, how do you travel, how do we travel, all that type of stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Yeah, really, really great to be able to rub shoulders with, a, with an organisation like that and be able to share ideas. As you look at the structure of the league, and this is a question that comes up from time to time, probably once, twice, three times a year, A-League expansion. Room for another New Zealand side, perhaps one in Auckland, do you think? Yeah, look, uh, yeah, I think for, for the game in New Zealand, uh, a, a franchise out of Auckland or, or somewhere else out of New Zealand would be would be gold, right? It would just give us more opportunities to, to more young New Zealand players to be playing professional football. Um, you know, with that though, there, there come some challenges around sponsorship dollar, you know, um, and, and those type of things, you know. So, uh, I, I don't think it'll be easy. You know, you have two clubs in the country and two clubs vying for, I guess, the, 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 the same sort of sponsorship dollar and football dollar that there is. But from a, from a New Zealand football development perspective and for the players, you know, it would be absolutely gold. Would it would it help with a derby? You know, it's it's hard to know, right? Uh, it's still a, it's still an hour flight for um, for you know fans to travel. It's not like uh, being a kilometre away. You know, Everton to Liverpool in terms of stadiums. So, you know, everyone talks about you know potentially a derby would be unbelievable, but I'm still you know I'm I'm, I'm on the fence about how that actually works when you've got an hour flight between between the two places. Mm. Okay, no, I think that's a fair point. Actually, a very fair point. On the subject of Auckland, of course, um, we've uh, got a clash there at Eden Park uh, this Sunday, which is uh, cool. I would expect, you, I would imagine, you get quite a decent crowd there. The chances you feel against Sydney? Yeah, look, it's an absolutely massive game, right? Five versus six, and uh, and an opportunity, you know, particularly for us, if we can get the three points this weekend, to pull away a little bit from that 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 bottom part of the table, which is you know really critical. So, um, you know, are we confident? Yeah, we, 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 we seem to have a good run of it in Auckland uh, over the last few years. Uh, everyone loves to get back there. You know, a lot of the players have got families up there, so it's a good opportunity uh, for them to, to catch up with family. We actually fly out this afternoon and have a couple of sessions there over the next few days. Uh, we've got a big um, event with Spark and Oppo at Commercial Bay on Friday uh, afternoon at 4 o'clock for fans to be able to get down and meet the players and you know get signatures and play some FIFA and stuff against that, uh, against the boys so you know it's a, it's a trip we look forward to uh, and Eden Park's been kind to us in the past so we're we're, we're hopeful that we'll, we'll go out there play in front of a big crowd and, uh, and collect another three points Sean absolutely uh, fantastic getting a uh uh, a little chat with you to uh, get so what's behind the scenes and the development going forward. Sounds promising. Uh, all the best against Sydney on Sunday and the women's team, of course, uh, against Sydney in Sydney on Saturday. A couple of good results will go down well. Cheers, man. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Ian. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem at all. Sean Gilliar, who's, uh, of course, in charge of uh, pretty much everything. Uh, the Phoenix uh, oversees both the Phoenix and, of course, the Women's Phoenix and, of course, the development players within the Phoenix Academy system. And uh, interesting to note the number of uh, young people they have involved there can only uh, augur well. It's 9.22 here on SENZ.
needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, we're about an hour away from uh, the toss of the coin at uh, Hagley Oval in Christchurch and I asked for your forecasts and uh, you've come in, which is uh, fantastic and uh, pretty much on the same wavelength, overcast, smithy, but warm, shouldn't be too bad, says John. Uh, Mikey, smithy, it's warm and overcast here in Christchurch, hopefully we bowl first in these conditions, go the black caps, it's uh, Mikey G. Uh, and Mark says, uh, smithy, it's partly cloudy in Christchurch at the moment, we did get a little rain early around 5.30am. Uh, the forecast, though, is for heavy falls this afternoon, which, unfortunately, I can see happening. Sorry, says Mark. Well, that's the forecast I was uh, just watching uh, in terms of uh, one of the television breakfast shows. I just had it on, and uh, they just uh, did the forecast across. There was a heavy rain warning for Westland, Westland down there, um, Otago, and uh, parts of Canterbury. So let's just hope it stays away, because this is a vitally important test match. And uh, the way I, I see it, um, yeah... I was uh, talking to um, uh, Izzy and uh, to Louis just uh, prior to nine o'clock, and I, I kind of felt that uh, they would not play as many batsmen New Zealand. Um, I, I really don't think they've got room to have uh, Will Young, Henry Nichols, um, and then of course Daryl Mitchell at uh, four, five, six. I don't think they need that uh, for the balance of the bowling attack. I think they have to go a little bit deeper. And uh, judging by the sound of the weather conditions and perhaps the pitch, which traditionally down there suits the quicker bowlers, uh, they might just uh, throw an extra quick bowler in there. It might be Blair Tickner, may well be uh, somebody else. But uh, I, 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 that's the way. I'll, I'll play Bracewell, I think. I'll play Bracewell on the basis that they might need some uh, some slow bowling overs. But uh, Michael Brace was far from the finished product. We've uh, talked about that often on the show. So we're really looking at uh, development of, of Michael Bracewell at a test level. Uh, as opposed to being anywhere near the finished product. So um, I'm not quite sure that you develop them in the role in that before, that level or whether you try and get the, as many, many overs as you can out of them at another level just to improve their, their bowling side of things. So Michael Brace will, will probably play, I would imagine, for the balance of the side. We're going to continue the cricket uh, theme uh, after the news here with uh, Aroha. Uh, we're going to talk to Liz Green. Now Liz is the New Zealand Cricket Head of Women's High performance so uh, that is a very important role these days of course the women have pay parity when it comes to match appearances etc and so uh, they get a little bit more scrutiny perhaps than they might have done in previous years we've got uh, two or three or four very high ranked players worldwide Uh, but what about the rest and what about the future that's what I want to know it's 9.30 here on SENZ you got to know when the whole know when the Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, Golden State Warriors got beaten by OKC yesterday. I can't believe that. How does a side with so much damn talent just lose? I mean, how does the Golden State Warriors with Draymond Green, Steph Curry and all the players that they've got, how do they lose to OKC? a team of bunnies, God's sake. Do you, want an an do you want an answer for that, Smithy? Y- yeah, I do. I do. His name is Josh Giddy. If you'd been, uh, for those who follow the AMBL, you'll know Josh Giddy quite well from the way he played with uh, Adelaide back in the day. He is now just going absolutely guns blazing in the NBA. It's unreal. He recorded a triple-double that included 17 Assists. He now ties that record for the most by an Aussie with Ben Simmons. 
Okay, thanks for that. So he beat all those guys single-handed. Turned terrific. Ah, just great. Okay, part of that multi was also Tottenham playing uh, AC Milan. It can't uh, help the multi anymore, but uh, at that stage, uh, right here and now, and this is a Champions League playoff, of course, uh, Spurs nil, AC Milan nil. Uh, and in the other playoff match being played this morning, Bayern Munich nil and Paris Saint-Germain nil. So uh, they are goalless in those two crucial Champions League playoff games this morning, none of which are included in my multi uh, for today. Uh, Cavaliers to beat uh, the Heat. So it's Cleveland Cavaliers to beat the Heat at $1.75. Panthers tonight to beat the Rabbitohs. The Panthers to get on the board tonight to beat the Rabbitohs, of course, who were successful last week over the Sharks. That's at $1.57. And uh, right, and one to look forward to over the weekend. So it's a part of today's multi. Scotty Scheffler to finish in the top 10 in the Players' Championship. Scotty Scheffler to finish in the top 10 at $2.30. I like that. So a dollar seventy-five into a buck fifty-seven into two dollars thirty. That is six dollars thirty-two. Six dollars thirty-two. Just waiting for uh, Liz Green to uh, get uh, on terra firma. She's been flying to Christchurch, I understand, this morning. So uh, she'll be there, and she might be able to give us a weather update as well. But uh, we shall catch up with uh, Liz Green as soon as possible. When you look at, uh, I mean, these are only rumours as well. When you you look at um, who Scott Robertson wanted to uh, run with him. Um, it didn't seem as if Joe Smith's name was in the mix. In other words, they probably don't aren't uh, looking to work together. <laughs> so it's one or the other in that regard, one or the other. And and Joe Smith would be thinking, well, if Scott Robertson gets it, my All Black days are numbered. So maybe I stand against him. Yeah, and maybe that's the way it goes. I mean, Joe Schmidt comes with a very proven track record. You know, if Scotty got the job, Razor definitely would be keeping Jason Ryan there with him as you know his right hand man. What, yeah, but if if Joe gets it, I mean, that's huge. You know, we see some reporters saying it is a one-horse race. Others are saying it's a two-horse race. Now we're seeing it's potentially a three-horse race. We're just not going to know until, what What are we now, five weeks? Four to five weeks? That's where our window is at. We've burnt a week uh, while we yeah. wait for this all to go down. Yeah, if Razor doesn't get it, I think it's bye-bye. We won't see him again. That's done. We've had it. He's had his <laughs> – we've, the All Blacks have had the opportunity there. And if they duff it, I think that's it. Mm. Okay, just looking at this uh, Sri Lankan squad that has come over here. Uh, Logan, there's a number of names in there that are very, very familiar. And so there's quite a lot of experience in some areas. Uh, And uh, some names that uh, aren't so much uh, familiar to me. But uh, Dumuth Karunaratna, of course, the captain these days with... uh, Nourishan Dikwela be the wicketkeeper batsman. Chandamal is prolific, has been prolific. Uh, they've probably all had a crack at being captain over the years, some of these guys. Angelo Matthews, certainly. Kusil Mendes, probably. Um, they've got Rajitha, of course. And uh, they have... Um, it's a powerful batting side. It really is a powerful batting side. So uh, New Zealand have to get their act together uh, pretty quickly with the ball if they're to bowl first. And if they lose, if they lose the toss... Uh, then, of course, New Zealand uh, top order, I think, will be under fire, just judging by the conditions down there. Uh, Richie has come and said, uh, the dumb thing is that Artie is missing, uh, is one of his all-black, rec- isn't, is missing, isn't one of his all-black cut recovery games, so he still needs to have a week off. Really? I mean, isn't it's just, there's got to be a, a good side to it. It has to be a, a really good side to it. They need, they need to change the rules. This is from Richie also. They need to change the rules to allow a forward to punch a halfback. Mm-hmm. 
the said halfback is mouthing off to said forward. Uh, without said forward facing consequences. I like it. Halfbacks need to be put in their place. Let's face it, they they are, they aren't even real backs. They're only a half a back. Oh, <laughs> that's real. great. Yeah, so uh, Richie coming in big time there, throwing a couple of uppercuts at the halfbacks, but uh, the chirpy little halfbacks, eh? Interestingly enough, uh, Paul Turner was on the rugby run with uh, Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball on Sunday. He said that if that rule, uh, not the uh, forward being able to punch a halfback rule, the rule that it now stands with the halfbacks and the scrums, that if that was in place when he was playing, he reckoned he would have been a 50-test all-black. He reckon really? he would have had a much longer career. And then also, uh, Mikey G is uh, texted through on the Temper Bedpost text machine around the resting uh, policy for the ABs. Uh, he's saying, I thought it was three games in a row, then a rest. Have I got it wrong? What is the official policy? As far as I understand it, Mikey, is they just, they're not allowed to play six games in a row. So I, I think they can pick when they do it. They're just not allowed to play six in a row. That is the resting policy. So you look at a, a game or, uh, you know, look, you look at the schedule that you've got and you're able to forecast uh, going ahead. Now, of course, a lot of this is injury dependent as well uh, and in terms of availability, but you look at your squad and think, uh, where are the best games? I mean, one that you think you perhaps are going to lose. So you, you uh, think, right, OK, well, well, we won't openly lose this game, but it looks like we're up against it. That's a good one, but I, I certainly need them. Uh, against the games that I think we're going to win or we've got a really good chance of winning. So uh, I guess as a coach, it's just another facet of the job is looking to schedule the breaks for the All Blacks. Mm. Um, Some coaches have a formidable job there because they've got more All Blacks than others. No doubt about that. 9.48 here on SCNZ. SCNZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, still no score between uh, those uh, two um, matches in the the Champions League. uh, Spurs uh, nil and uh, of course they're up against AC Milan nil. Bayern Munich nil, PSG nil. Rightio, uh, Live radio is a wonderful thing. You have to learn to adjust and uh, change things around a wee bit. So uh, we're going to have a preview of uh, the uh, New Zealand vs Sri Lanka test match. And uh, first of all, uh, going to hear from Ashhead, the uh, Hagley Oval groundsman. Yeah, both teams have had a look. Um, any feedback, any, any sort of chat from them about uh, what, what they're liking? Uh, not really. Normally you get the old, oh, gee, it's green when you turn up to Hagley. But I think most teams know what to expect when they turn up here now. So, yeah, I think those comments are few and far between now so yeah I guess just sort of give us a bit of flavour of how it behaves over five days what are you sort of expecting uh, I think just normally here you get a bit of pace and a bit of bounce um, hopefully not a lot of sideways movement um, all depends on the wind as well for swing and basically overhead conditions dictate a lot of how it plays here so yeah. well, I was going to say how does this preparation compare I think the last time we were down here was ahead of the tri-series where you had a bit of snow on the ground so different yeah. preparation yeah completely different I mean it's nice sunny days we've had you know, high 20 degree days rather than I think the high leading into the tri-series might have been about 8 or 9 so with snow on the ground so yeah completely different pitch preps way different like you've just got to factor in the drying which we didn't have for the tri-series Overcast uh, um, and uh, humid I think I think it's fair to say down there overcast and warm so nice bowling conditions by the sounds of things 
uh, Navid Nawaz is the Sri Lankan assistant coach. Here are his thoughts. As the batting coach, what do you talk to your batsmen about when they come to New Zealand conditions? Yeah, it's always, uh, you know, you got to uh, be cautious on the uh, off stump, fourth off stump uh, lines and then uh, and maybe your first, uh, you know, couple of overs uh, get yourself in and then once you're in, I think uh, it has proved that in New Zealand, uh, the day two, day three, the wicket gets easier and, and good to bat on. And if you look at the the history of Sri Lankan batters, uh, have done well here, have scored massive runs here. So, uh, so it's about setting yourself up uh, for success, being patient, uh, uh, spending time in the middle. You mentioned your batters, uh, Demuth, Kusul, Angelo, Denisha. These are world-class batters these days. You must be, uh, I suppose, confident with the group that you bring over. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, all these, most of these players have played in New Zealand before, and they have uh, had taste of success in New Zealand. So obviously, they know how to go about. So uh, it's a matter of uh, applying yourself and uh, and and spending time in the middle as batsmen as you get better. Okay, so that's the Sri Lankan batting coach Navid Nawaz. So we better hear from the New Zealand bowling coach. Shane Jurgensen. Mm, how important is it for the group to really hopefully finish the, the test part of the end of the summer strongly, you know, the closing out this part of the World Test Championship? Yeah, I think it's it's important for us because, you know, obviously being the previous uh, winners of the uh, World Test Championship, you know, we, as I said, we've got a lot of pride in our test cricket and have for a while, particularly in our home country. Um, and for us, it's just making sure that, you know, Sri Lanka are, are in a good bit of form or good form in test cricket. And we need to make sure that we, you know, they're going to be a formidable challenge for us in our conditions. And I think for us, it's just making sure that we play to our strengths um, in this series. And but and also important that, you know, make the necessary adjustments throughout the, you know, the days of each game. Shane, what does um, the Sri Lankan, um, the Sri Lankan players at the crease uh, in terms of a challenge, what, what do mm. they pose, uh, especially for a, a bowling group that is a little bit... Uh, less experienced, I guess. Well, I think for us, for them, uh, they played well against us in Wellington. So it's definitely you know, a few years ago. I think it was nearly four years ago now. So it's been a while. But you know, they've got a, they've had a settled sort of test lineup, particularly in their batting for quite a while now. So they've got batters that have performed very much all around the world. And I think that's going to be the challenge for us is making sure that you know they have as less impact as possible when they've been playing good cricket. So you know, no doubt in terms of the World Test Championship standings, they're they're, they're right up there. Um, so yeah, no doubt we, you know, we're very respectful of you know, the challenge that they pose for us. As bowling coach, I must have been quite satisfied seeing the bowling group kind of turn things around after being put on, put under pressure during the English series uh, to turn it around, especially on that last day at the basin. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic to, to see the adjustments that we made. Um, you know, something that we probably haven't normally considered is the way that Tom Blundell's keeping has been absolutely outstanding for us and for him to come up to the to the, the stumps and basically make England have to change their game and that's that's the stuff that I love as a bowling coach is when we can make those adjustments in the game and and and, and for us for our bowl that's a, that's a new thing they're not doing our conditions and you know it's absolutely fantastic from Tom, Tom to uh, come up to the stumps and you know just create a different sort of style of way that we need to take wickets. Yep, everyone's talking about Tom Blundell. Um, he is uh, becoming a real force in this New Zealand cricket side. Some would say the backbone. Does a wonderful job and uh, is bringing a new dimension, a new dimension to uh, the way the bowlers are thinking. Um, that'll be the pitch dependent, whether he has to worry about it or whether the uh, Sri Lankan batsmen stay at home, which means he'll be able to stand back. Uh, good news is uh, I think we've got Liz Green for after 10 o'clock. 
So uh, that is uh, good news for that. We'll have a panel with Brendan Bradford and Aidan McLaughlin. The cricket involved in that as well. And then, of course, uh, later in the show, we'll be talking to Nathan Strample, basketball commentator extraordinaire, about Game 3 between the Breakers and the Kings. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Halftime scores uh, in the footy, um, and that is uh, Tottenham uh, nil, AC Milan nil, and uh, also uh, we've got uh, Bayern Munich nil. Uh, PSG nil. They are the uh, updates at the moment. So uh, we're still trying to get uh, contact with uh, Liz Green. She is uh, proving very elusive at this point. I understand she's in transit down to Christchurch. I understood her plane might have landed, um, but it appears that she's still not available to us. So uh, we have to uh, mix and um, mingle a, a wee bit around that. So let's uh, look at uh, would you be picking Smithy? Would you be picking a development player or three for the Sri Lankan Test? Would we? Uh, uh, this current crop of Test players are all 30 and over. Should we look at uh, Phillips, Lister, Sears, Ravinder, Fletcher, Foxcroft, if uh, eligible? Dean Foxcroft, yeah. Um, Kartini Clark, Shipley. So many options. Would rather lose playing young guys and smoke them with the status quo. Well, I'm not quite sure we're going to smoke them for a start, Paddy. Uh, this is a heck of a good side, and they're in, con- they're in contention to make the World Test Championship final. We're not. Uh, we're a long way out of it. Um, so we're spoilers in this uh, situation. Uh, we, uh, of course, hold the mace, but not for much longer. Um, that will, game, of course, will be played between Australia and someone at the Oval, um, and that's uh, in early June. Would I be playing uh, development players? I, I don't think I have to have uh, more than one player, one or two players. But I think Phillips is a possibility going forward. Uh, he's had a taste of Test cricket, and he was okay, um, you know, without being sensational. He scored a 50 at the SCG, but he had uh, a little bit of luck in that, and then he got a duck in the second inning. So, uh, look, I, I think Phillips is a possibility um, because I like the way that he advances the game, and I, I really do think that, you know, even though we beat England uh, with uh, playing the way we play, and that's uh, to stifle and to be more patient, um, I do think that uh, the Phillips type player is the is the future or part of the future. I think you've got one or two of them, the, the Harry Brooks in your team. Uh, in terms of uh, the other players, I think they're all handy first class players. Uh, I'm not quite sure about the strength of the uh, Plunkett Shield these days. Seem to be a lot of guys that are playing in uh, that for their provinces that have been for around for a long, long time without making any serious inroads to be possible black caps and. Uh, whether that's good or not, I don't know. I mean, you've got to have experience um, in those competitions to bring the best out in the young guys coming through, so they are tested. Um, and so I, I'm not sure. I, I don't like to tinker too much. I don't like to tinker too much with the test side, uh, but I, I, I do believe that there's scope for one or two players, maybe a batter and a bowler uh, in this series, to find out if they are, are good enough. Um, another one that has come in, so Dino uh, looking behind the scenes with Scotty Barrett uh, re-signing until 2025. Do you think he may have been shoulder-tapped by Razor as a possible future all-black captain? A sign may be. Razor has the, jo- uh, Razor has the job. I, look, I, I don't think he has the job. He can, how can he possibly have the job um, if they haven't had the process? And, um, and if they're having the process, why? Why are they having the process and why have they named them? So we all, all go back to this this damn question that's been haunting us for what 
almost coming at three or four, five months um, since uh, Ian Foster went under serious pressure in the regime last year. So longer than that, coming up at eight months, really. So we're still talking about that aspect of it. Look, Scott Barrett, I, I think, is uh, given in the Test 15, whether he's uh, in going forward uh, with the players we're losing, he's going to be a serious given in that, and a real key element to it. And I, I don't not see him being a, a, a captaincy material. I mean, he's led the uh, crusade as well. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he's got leadership qualities. He's one of those players that you follow, and uh, you need that as an all-black captain. Uh, he has uh, disciplinary issues. There's no doubt about that. Staying on the field of play has been a problem for him uh, from time to time. But um, certainly uh, he's worth his uh, weight in gold as uh, are his two brothers. So very interesting, that decision. Right, uh, let's uh, just get across to um, my producer, Logan, who's uh, working behind the scenes here. I can see. What are we looking at, uh, Logan, at this point? Ah, we're looking at live radio and juggling things as we are. As you were saying earlier, Smithy, look, I think just to buy ourselves a little more time, let's just take the ad break and uh, afterwards we'll have the panel, eh? Good on you. Good idea. Your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Brendan Bradford uh, hopefully with us on the panel this morning and uh, Aidan McLaughlin uh, can always rely on Aidan to be uh, available on the end of his phone which is uh, great Aidan, good morning to you Morning Smithy and morning to Brendan as well Yeah, what are we uh, looking like uh, we're about 15 minutes away from uh, the toss at Hagley Oval this morning they tell me um, through the grapevine uh, pretty good bowling conditions uh, what are you expecting out of this test match, Aidan? Uh, a lot of people saying we deal to Sri Lanka. I'm not sure about that. No, I'm not too sure about that either. I mean, uh, in terms of selection, I would imagine that Will Young will probably make way for Blair Tickner. Um, you know, I feel a bit sorry for Will Young, to be honest with you. He's been on the sidelines for a while. He had a little bit of up-and-down form with the Black Caps a couple of years ago, um, and then he sat there waiting for his chance, didn't take it, uh, when they decided to change the structure of the team um, and add that extra batter. But I think, uh, yeah, for me, you, you bring Blair Tickner back in, uh, so you've got that extra seamer. Um, Willie, uh, uh, Willie Nichols. <laughs> Henry Nichols has done enough to, to stay in for now, I think, for another test. So that'll be the change. But no, I think, you know, Sri Lanka, we mustn't underestimate them. I mean, um, they are still in with a chance, uh, an outside chance of making the World Test Championship here. Um, they've got to win the Series 2-0 and they've got to wait for India... Uh, the India result against Australia. I think if India win that, then Sri Lanka are definitely out that last test. But they are not to be underestimated. Um, and I think, whereas they've come to New Zealand in the past, and you have commentated on them many times here, and they've uh, been blown away, <laughs> literally, you know, um, it's, uh, it's, 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 not, it's not going to... Um, it's not going to be that easy for New Zealand this time because the, the, they're in good form, the batters are there, um, I just don't think it's going to be that easy at all for, for the New Zealanders. What would you do with the bowling lineup? Would, would you, as you say, you'd bring Tickner in as opposed to Kugeline and you'd stick with Michael Bracewell? Yeah, I th- well, I th- yeah, I would stick with Michael Bracewell because they they do need that spin option. Um, <laughs> we've talked about it before. I don't necessarily think that a part-time spinner is the right option, but that's the way they've chosen to go. Um, and I would bring Tickner in. I think Tickner showed more... Uh, in that, that that first test against England than Scott Kugeline did. 
Um, and I think he's just got a little bit more pace about him. And I think he, although they both improved as that test match against England went on um, on the debuts, I, I just think Tickner improved that a little bit more. Uh, and he's been in the environment for a lot longer than Kugelin as well. So I just think he, he's the go-to if you're going to bring in that extra, that extra seamer. All right, uh, let's um, look at the, the Highlanders and uh, Clark Dermody being forced to rest. Billy Harmon, due to an All Blacks resting policy, well, Billy Harmon, of course, was brought into the squad um, on the Northern Tour last year, but not used, did not play, um, so still has to sit out a game. Don't quite get that. Don't get it either. I understand you have, uh, you have guidelines, you have rules, um, you need to look after your players, but in this case it seems uh, over the top, it seems silly, and I really feel sorry for the Highlanders, to be honest with you, because um, they are the ones that are suffering from this lack of flexibility. You know, <laughs> he was called into that squad in October uh, as an injury replacement, but then he just he didn't play. So he's, he's had the benefit of being in the environment. He'll have learnt a lot over those three or four weeks. That's great for his development. But in terms of physical exertion, um, it was uh, confined to the training park. So... So for him to be, you know, grouped with the others on that tour just seems very silly to me. Um, and we've got to, remember, you know, I guess it's good for him that he's obviously thought to be still in the reckoning for the All Blacks this year in the World Cup year. But equally, you've got to look at the other options available. Um, you know, you've got <laughs> Sam Kane, Papa Lee, Adi Savia, Blackadder, Jacobson. There's plenty of options there. Um, and, and I'm not being disrespectful. I hope he has a great season. I hope he... He, he gets in the mix, but uh, he's down the pecking order. We have to be honest about that. He is down the pecking order. He's also the Highlanders' captain. And uh, in a game where, well, and they're 0 for 2, and uh, 0 for 2 quite convincingly at that, um, they really do um, need their leadership together. And so he and Fokatava will not play against the Chiefs this weekend, which is, to me, uh, almost writing off their chances. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I guess, you know, the, the Highlanders do have um, a choice to make. They know they have to admit them sometime and they do have their own choice to make about when they think that is best to do. Um, but, yeah, Fakatava again, to me, he's missed so much rugby um, over the last couple of seasons with injuries. Um, and then I think he could do with being, being out there and playing a bit more rugby. Um, it just seems that the the guidelines or the rules are just too um, too inflexible. I think you have to talk to these uh, these outfits um, on a case by case basis and have some good open dialogue and understand how they've been looking in in the opening games of the season. Understand how they've been going in uh, pre season and training. And I think you just have to have good open conversations and say, okay. Um, thanks for letting us know how that player is getting on at the moment. Let's let's make a little change here and um, make an exception. I guess you, then you could argue you open up a can of worms because the other the other teams and the other coaches say, well, well what about us? But I think as long as you've got um, an ability to be open-minded across all the Super Rugby teams, um, I think you you just got to work at it, haven't you? You got to you got to put the time in. You got to just speak to everyone and just everyone get on the in the same page and just try and work it out. Artie Sevilla's one-week ban, um, which won't be one of his break games, just by the by, apparently. 
don't understand that either. But however, um, he gets a one-week ban. And what did you make of that now that uh, the punishment has been handed down? Well, yeah, I did, to go back to your first point, I did hear that it wasn't going to be his break week. Um, and I guess for a long time now we have looked at examples where people have got bans and they've managed to manufacture the bans that they, so that they, that they don't miss as much rugby as we, as we expect them to. So credit to the Hurricanes for not taking the easy option out on that respect. Um, I think a one-match ban was the minimum he could have... Um, hoped for really um, I think it's a sensible conclusion to the matter he's been punished um, he's got his yellow card and of course uh, you know added with this warning for this particular piece of conduct it, it amounts to effectively a red card um, he was I, th- I think the thing about it was he realised immediately um, that he was wrong. And I do believe he realised that. Yes, you could you could be cynical and you could say, look, you know, the Hurricanes have obviously tapped him on the shoulder straight away and said, look, you've got to come out, you've got to apologise. But I think we all have seen enough of Adi Savia over the years to believe that he is genuinely sorry for what he's done. And he came out quickly, he came out very clearly, um, and I think that has also helped his case at the judiciary. So I think one game... Um, Yes, I, th- I think that's fair enough when all said and done. So, that kind of thing, um, you think that, that as a harsh enough message? Do you, do you think, though, you know, for, for that kind of gesture? Um, because we haven't really seen that before, have we? It was just a one-off. I mean, obviously there's a lot of stuff that goes on in a rugby field that we don't hear about. Um, you know, we do have um, referees mic'd up, etc., but... Quite a lot of that stuff we miss, of course. So there's a lot of stuff uh, said and threatened and all that sort of thing, I'd imagine, with grown men in a physical battle like they are. But, but when it becomes so openly seen um, and it's that kind of gesture, um, is that a, what, what you regard as, as a rarity? Um, I, I think it is a rarity. Um, I think, yeah, if, if we gave out warnings for words, well, there'd be no one playing with this. So... Um, or, or actions in the front row of a scrum, you know, we wouldn't have it. We wouldn't have a game of rugby. So, um, but I think yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because as you know, over the last ten, fifteen years, you know, you've been heavily involved in TV coverage of rugby. The amount of um, camera angles that we all have now, we all have access to, and that producers have access to. It's amazing that it, this is such a rare event, and I guess it was. The issue as well was that it was the actual gesture, wasn't it? It was, it was a pretty blatant gesture. Um, you know, we're not expecting him to have obviously, you know, carried forward on that type of action um, after the game. Of course not. But but equally, he did make it, and it was it was pretty blatant what he what he did. So I think it did need punishing because you can't, you know, p- kids watch that sort of stuff, um, and you you have to punish um, that sort of stuff. As I say, I think. Had he not come out very quickly and said, um, you know, how sorry he was uh, and that it was the wrong thing to do, I think we potentially could have been looking at a big, bigger punishment of the judiciary. But um, the fact that he's, he's, he's copped it on the chin, um, I, I think that's, uh, that's, you know, really what, what's limited it to, to a warning here. And I think, I think what's important is that his message does get out and he does, we do hear from him that um, this was the wrong thing to do. I should not have done this. You know, no one should be doing this. So as long as that message gets out there that young kids and other players can, can listen to, 
then I, I think we're, we're, the balance is okay here. Brendan Bradford has been sitting patiently uh, on the phone. Brendan, uh, thank you very much for that. Um, what has the reaction been? Uh, of course, it was an involving um, an, an Australian side uh, in the Rebels. So what, what has been the reaction Australia-wise to uh, the Adi Savia affair, we'll call it? Yeah, it's, it's actually been quite interesting. It, it's it's taken on a sort of a life larger than just Adi Savia, and he's sort of become, a, uh, I guess, an example for the entire All Blacks and a little bit of that sort of Wallabies versus All Blacks uh, rivalry over over the years, and a lot of people wanting to see him, you know, rubbed out for three weeks, four weeks, and even longer, just because he's, you know, not just Adi Savia, but he's he's an All Black, and um, you know, there's people sort of talking about, you know, Richie McCaw got away with all sorts over a ten year period, so uh, let's sort of punish Adi. Um, but I think that uh, that's just spot on. Uh, uh, what I was hearing earlier is, you know, he he sort of realised. Uh, it seems like he realised while he was sitting in the in the sin bin at, and at half time that he was sort of in the wrong. And um, you know, his post match um, interview he sort of apologised and, and owned up to it. Um, I, I think, yeah, like his his track record um, over the years of being, um, you know, pretty, you know, a, a pretty good good player and, and a good guy and, and things like that and his, his, some of his uh, off-field sort of things. And, um, yeah, he was very contrite straight after afterwards and apologised. And, um, yeah, I, I, th- I, think I think they've got it right. About, about a week is, is probably probably fair. Um, but, yeah, it, there has been a, a, quite the reaction over in Australia. It's also been a bit of reaction to the, the lack of crowds um, at some of the matches uh, in Melbourne. Do you think it's, um, it's something that will be ongoing? Do you think they'll look at it uh, because of that, Brendan? At some point, they have to. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure of the you know the length of the contract. If there, if there's you know if it's four or five years that they've signed a deal with um, to to take you know Super Round to Melbourne, but um, I, I think it's clear that there's just not the appetite for it. Um, you know, it, it was the perfect weekend for it. There was, you know, the AFL hasn't started. Um, the Melbourne Storm weren't playing down there. There was nothing else on sports-wise. And, and still, the only crowds that show up are, uh, you know, expat Kiwis, uh, Fijian fans. There's just not that local um, local groundswell of support for rugby union down in Melbourne. There's probably only, you can probably really only hold that in, in Sydney or Brisbane in Australia. And even then, I think there's a shelf life of a couple of years. We've seen that with plenty of other um, events like this, like the, you know, the, I think the Sevens here, um, it works in Sydney for a couple of years, then people fade away. Even the, the, the Rugby League, the, the Nines, you, know, you can do it for th- maybe three years and you need to freshen it up and move it around. So I hope in the next couple of years they, they take it away from Melbourne because um, it doesn't feel like it's ever really going to catch on there. Okay, right. Uh, we've got Brendan Bradford, uh, who's uh, based in Australia, of course. Aidan McLaughlin, based in uh, Hawke's Bay. Aidan, uh, news coming through. Scott Barrett sticking with New Zealand rugby through to the end of 2025. People texting in, actually, and uh, suggesting perhaps that uh, Razor's had a word to him and said, you'll be my all-black captain, if that's the case. <laughs> Not sure it's Razor's decision yet, is it, Smithy? Um, <laughs> but, um, but that said, I think if... Uh, Actually, I think whoever gets the All Blacks job, to be fair, um, the the head coach job that is, I 
I think Scott Barrett would be a leading candidate anyway, regardless of who gets the job, whether it's it's Razor, whether it's Jamie Joseph, or whether it's Joe Schmidt or someone else we can't think of right now. But, um, you know, he's 29 years of age. Um, he's played, I think, the best part of 60 test matches. And when you think about who is already confirmed to be going offshore at the end of this, this World Cup, um, I think he's going to probably be in the, in the top uh, couple of candidates anyway. I'm not quite sure what Sam Kane's plans are. Um, I guess we'll find out about that in the next sort of five to six months. But um, but yeah, he, he'd have to be uh, right up there in a way. And I think it, you know it's good that finally um, there is someone that's actually com- committing to New Zealand rugby for another couple of years. Um, I guess we'll just see what he does when he, he get, gets to 2025. I think he'll be 31 then. Maybe that'll be his time to go offshore and uh, rest the body a bit and make a bit of money. Interesting. Uh Women's rugby now, and uh, Niall Guthrie, of course, uh, Niall Guthrie was uh, the Niall Williams, uh, Sonny Bill's sister, set to uh, quit the Black Fern Sevens for an NRLW contract with the Gold Coast Titans. Brendan, this is uh, an interesting one because, um, you know, the seven, uh, the Black Fern Sevens are a hugely successful, high-profile side, um, but obviously this is a financial thing. And um, and it's not the first one either. So Niall Guthrie goes to uh, the, the Gold Coast Titans. If, um, any reaction to that? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I um I, I you know I hadn't given it so too much thought, but I would have thought the uh, you know in terms of the the pay there, I thought I would have thought the, the sevens might have um, competed um, with with the NRLW. But um, yeah, I mean, it, good good for her. It's um, or, yeah, sort of following, I guess, following in the footsteps of of Sunny Bill a little bit in the in the code hopping thing. And um, look, the the NRLW is it's it's back, and yeah, you know, they're expanding as well over the next year or two. Um, and it's it's they're they're really making big strides. Although it's it's been a tough sort of couple of months um, over the past couple of months with um, pay negotiations and CBA deals and things like that, but. Um, they'll they'll get through this eventually, and and the the competition going forward over the next five to ten years and into the future is 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 really there's so much potential there. Um, I suppose from a, a, another perspective as well, though, is a little bit disappointing. She uh, wasn't able to play for the Warriors, um, planning to to have a team back in the comp. I think that's not for another couple of years, so she probably wants to get. Um, get a career started in, in rugby league but um yeah it's it's a good move it's it's and it's good great move for the for the titans as well great move for the nrlw um that's gonna gonna create a lot of a lot of um you know headlines publicity and exposure um for the league as well and, and for the titans so um yeah really excited to to see how she goes actually right we've got uh, brendan bradford with us um out of australia aid mclaughlin uh, with us as well uh, we'll take a short break for news with Araha and uh, we'll perhaps uh, come back shortly. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yeah, just to close off with the panel, uh, Brendan, uh, of course, we're talking about the test match over here. The toss is on as we speak. We'll get details very shortly. Um, but um, Australia, of course, playing India. So much talk in the media over there about Pat Cummins and David Warner. How are you reacting to that? Yeah, that's it's been uh, sort of a series almost overshadowed by um, talk of, of the big sort of couple of players, Pat Cummins, Warner, um, Smith as well, Steve Smith going back into the captaincy. Um, it's and, and look, it's been a, a bizarre sort of a series as well with 
um, talk of pitches and, and wild momentum swings back and forth. And um, it's yeah, it's it's been an interesting one. I, I suppose they obviously the start off with the Pat Cummins one. It's um, you know I, I suppose the reaction has been you know quite fairly sympathetic to Pat um, coming back for to, to be with his mum. So that you know there's. I don't think there's been sort of a, a negative reaction there, although he has copped some criticism for um, a few things over the past year or so. But, um, you know, that's, that's just where we're at uh, with him at the moment. And, yeah, a lot of, a lot of talk, I suppose, almost uh, – what, what are you saying? Like almost trying to wrap up David, David Warner's career. Um, you know, he's, it's a tough place to go and try and score some runs and – and stick in the team going over to India. But, um, yeah, a few headlines over the past month or so about is this the end for David Warner? And, um, you know, he had, a, he had a pretty pretty poor home season as well, apart from one double century. He was he was very, very, very poor um, across the rest of the tests here. Um, so, yeah, those, I guess those are the two sort of – the two storylines that stick out. And then, obviously, they've almost overshadowed Steve Smith resuming the captaincy again. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that just – that kind of just shows. Uh, I think people have kind of moved on a little bit from the the sandpaper gate. Certainly with Steve Smith, he's uh, you know done his time in a sense, and uh, I think people are ready forget to forgive him. Um, but yeah, the, the the last test, it's it's sort of a, a bit to play for. Um, it's certainly leading into the rest of the year as well. So it's it has been an interesting one. Um, yeah, w- one last one to go. Both sides, both sides of the ditch. Um, watching some cricket this this weekend. Cool. Okay, uh, it's uh, Brendan Bradford for us uh, on the panel this morning. Thanks to uh, Aidan McLaughlin as well. Uh, we've been able to to uh, track down the elusive Liz Green uh, because she's been in transit this morning, which is fantastic. She's on the line for us now. Liz, of course, uh, relatively recently appointed as New Zealand Cricket's head of women's high performance. Liz, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for the patience. Um, I got held up at Christchurch Airport, so good good to finally be here. Hey, been there, done that, got that T-shirt. Um, tell us about your uh, job, uh, Liz. Uh, what does that actually entail for us, for the women? Yeah, look, it's um, I guess it's a slightly rejigged role from what has previously been in place. So head of women's high performance, um, sort of you know immediately tasked with building a new strategy and direction for what women's cricket will look like over the next you know five five to ten years and on the back of a, um, a very good master agreement deal for the women, I'm pretty excited about what can be achieved over the next sort of 12 to 24 months in the first instance. Right, let's uh, look at um, the uh, the White Ferns in particular. Uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, Liz, uh, two relatively disappointing World Cups in a 12-month period. Uh, would you concur with that? Yeah, I don't think anyone will be, um, would, would be that pleased with the performances over the last 12 months. We know that as a group, um, you know, collectively we're working together and, um, and looking at how we can address a few areas. But look, I think, you know, the most recent World Cup was sort of a tale of two um, two different sides. We played poorly against uh, Australia and South Africa and that's the nature of T20 cricket sometimes and then um, absolutely blew the other two teams off the park in Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. So, but we've got to um, understand how we can perform more consistently at that top level and for us, it's about the long game at the moment. Um, you know, we're sort of looking ahead now to the 2025 World Cup. And, um, who are the players that we need to develop to come through and um, and just get things right on the other side, I guess. Who are the players you're likely perhaps not to have then, Look, uh, you know, realistically? Oh, look, I think the core group at the moment um, will stick together and 
for us it's about identifying the um, the talent that's coming through that might challenge some of the the um, the more stable heads in the team and um, you know and the likes of um, you know I mean Mo- Molly Penfold's coming through Georgia Plummer um, and we've got a lot of exciting talent that's coming through in the under 19 level as well so um, for us it's about identifying I guess yeah what's what what's coming through in that next tier down and um, and making sure we have a really competitive squad going forward. So why are Australia so good? I mean, have you studied their plan? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I've spoken a little bit to their high performance manager over the last couple of months, and um, he speaks to sort of their ten year plan. And it took them five years, I guess, of um, of sort of uh, trying to figure out what that recipe for success looked like. And obviously, on the back of investment into the likes of um, their women's big bash and um, their state cricket structures, I think um, you know they've sort of landed on a a really good, uh, I guess, um, structure and um, they've got really good systems in place. So, you know, for him, he's sort of saying, you know, look, give yourself time. It's all about patience. Um, you've got to suffer a little bit and, um, and then you'll get there. So it's, it's been really good to talk to him and sort of bounce ideas of, um, of what's making Australia so successful currently. So, I mean, they have outstanding individuals. Quite clearly, they have outstanding individuals. I believe they're one of the most complete sporting teams in the world in terms of uh, covering bases, but and I've often said that. But I, I, I just wonder where, where we're going to at what point we're going to be able to look them in the eye and say, well, we've got those bases covered as well, um, because to me, looking on from the outside, it, it seems a quite a long way away. Yeah, like and as I said earlier, I think it's about the long game for us. But I'm really buoyed by some of the talent that I'm seeing coming through our systems here in New Zealand and. You know, part of my job is making sure that we can develop these effectively so that they can be um, can be ready to be world-class players like what we're seeing um, being produced through England, India and Australia at the moment. So for me, I think um, we're just going to have a little bit of patience. But as I said, um, I'm really excited by the talent that we have and now we're just going to make sure that that talent's developed. Right, OK. You've got a, a pretty exciting North-South series coming up, which effectively puts... Mate against mate, as they say in the corny way uh, about the state of origin. So, uh, almost a trial, really, I guess. Yeah, I think North v South um, was last played in 2010. I think I even played in that match um, itself. So, for me, um, it's sort of the first step in terms of what we can do between domestic and international in terms of playing opportunities. And um, I'm really excited about you know who's who's going to put their hand up and. Um, and show us what they've got. So, yeah, certainly um, it won't be a series that sits in isolation. There's a lot to be done between um, between international and domestic cricket, but um, it's the first step in terms of what we want to do in that space. Often I've found with uh, men's cricket in particular, there's a nice base um, for playing the short game by playing longer forms of the game. Now, is there any scope, do you think, looking forward, um, Liz, that we might play test cricket. I, I you know, I, I think it's been mooted. But the other thing, of course, is is the ability to to play for longer. So you learn your skills over a longer period of time. At the moment, it's, so much is driven by white ball cricket. Any scope for doing anything different there? Oh, look, I think if you ask any players, there's there's a real appetite for playing test match cricket. But for us, we've got to get um at Get, get better at playing the short form in itself in terms of 50 over in T20 cricket. So, look, in the long term, I don't think it's completely off the table, but for now, um, we've got to focus on um, on being the best that we can be in those shorter formats. Right. Um, the relationship now, uh, Ben Sawyer's been in the job um, for a while. I, I think he's now currently working in the IPL, actually, the women's IPL. Um, so h- how's that working? I mean, who's his uh, fellow selectors, etc.? 
Yes, Ben settled into the job really well. He's a he's a hugely passionate guy. Um, really wants to see the white fans succeed. Um, he's a big thinker of the game, and so for him, it's you know it's supporting him with the likes of um, of Dean Brownlee, who's been appointed as the assistant um, white fans coach, and the other tour coaches that we've got around him as well. And then we've got um, Jason Wells as the head selector that sits in underneath that, and he's got a wealth of knowledge in terms of what's currently happening in the women's game, and um, has an eye for that kind of talent um, across uh, across the board as well. So. He's well supported, um, and I think for, for Ben, it's just yeah for him um, just just trying to find that recipe for success, as, as I said earlier. Okay, what's next um, in terms after the North South series internationally? What are we looking at? Yes, yeah, so we're looking. Um, the players go on a bit of a break, um, recharge the batteries, then we get the girls back together into camp structures, and um, then they head off to Sri Lanka um, in June for a for a series against them. So it'll be um, the first sort of tour that we're looking at um, post the World Cup and then um, hopefully we've got Pakistan at home and potentially India away as well so um, another jam-packed international calendar for the girls. Okay sounds good Uh, we just need to I think from the outside uh, we just need to to get some more W's against um, some uh, more quality opposition I think that's the secret really isn't it to, to judging it? Yeah, and I think it's learning how to win again um, and being consistent at that top level. But, you know, I'm certainly confident that we have the players um, to do that and to be a consistent side going forward um, and to be, you know, one of the top four tier nations um, in women's cricket. So, look, I think um, we need to be really positive about the direction that we're going in and um, and just have patience, but we'll get there. OK, Liz, uh, thanks very much uh, for your time. Um, I know you've got plenty on your plate, so uh, thanks uh, for taking the time to, uh, to chat with us about where you think things are at. Um, have a good day. Cheers. Thanks, Libby. Cheers. Uh, Liz Green there, uh, Head of Women's High Performance for New Zealand Cricket. And on that subject, New Zealand Cricket are at Hagley Oval this morning, and uh, Logan Swinkles has details, I believe, of the all-important, as they say. Yes, Tim Salvey has won the toss, and they are... Surprise, surprise, not. Uh, opting to bowl first, and this is the side that they have named to face Sri Lanka in that first test. At Hagley Oval, Tom Latham, Devin Conway, Kane Williamson, Henry Nichols at four, Daryl Mitchell, Tom Blunder with the gloves, Michael Bracewell, Tim Salvey, Matt Henry, Neil Wagner, and Blair Tickner. Well, no surprises there for me. So, uh, Henry gets another gig. Let's hope uh, from uh, the team's point of view that Henry makes this one count uh, because he certainly must be running out of opportunities. He must be. Uh, so Will Young gets uh, heave-hoed again um, and Michael Bracewell gets another chance as uh, a non-proven spinner. Very interesting. Uh, Blair Tickner, I uh, hope he makes uh, makes good. been a tough time for Blair Tickner actually um, with the family home being uh, absolutely destroyed too. Uh, and the the cyclones, so I <coughs> hope it, he, he does well and uh, takes his mind off things. 10.44 here on SENZ. Sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Well, you had a choice to make uh, today, Louis Herman Watt, because uh, cricket in Christchurch, racing in Christchurch at Rickerton Park as well. That's right. I uh, chose the former, and I don't think you'll be mad at me for that. So I'm just standing on the top of the embankment at Hagley Oval. I'll tell you what, it's really dark. It's kind of one of those strange Christchurch days where it's 
vaguely Norway in those kind of grey clouds aren't a danger of raining. You might get a little bit of here and there, but they kind of close in and it makes it quite dark. There's a little bit of lights on, uh, which is a bit strange for 10 to 11 in the morning, but um, the wicket, just listening to Flem give it an appraisal, it's been so hot down here, it's going to be a really good wicket to bat on throughout the test. It's pretty baked, and I reckon it's quite firm underneath that green layering, which can be a little bit suspicious, so that's a state of play from the cricket. Have you got a winner for us from cricket? And I haven't really done the form, to be honest. No, I haven't even looked at the field, so I'll be perfectly honest, so that's fine. No, no actually, it's... It's even better that you give us a, a bit of a uh, roving update on the cricket. What's the early crowd look like? Uh, I'll be honest, thin, thin, yeah, thin. I mean, they're just trickling in as they do on a Thursday. I guess it's a working day. I expect on Saturday when they have the dress-up day, it'll um, it'll go bananas down here. But uh, it's thin at the moment. It's plenty of room. But, gee, they prepare this place well, Smithy. I know the basin really is the home of cricket, but you, you can't really deny that Hagley has become one of the Actually, it has become the premier cricketing venue in New Zealand over the last decade, I think. Is that, is that unfair? Um, no, I, I think it's um, I think it's probably the best. I, I think it is. Um, I think Canterbury cricket supporters are probably the best cricket supporters in the country, to be fair. I think they're the most loyal. Um, <coughs> and I think it's a, it's a beautiful ground. I, I really do. And um, I just hope the, uh, the weather stays away. It's forecast for some pretty heavy rain in some of the areas around Christchurch and Canterbury anyway, um, on the map. So we just hope it stays away for the weekend. So, Tim Southey winning the toss, bowling, right thing to do in your mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll get some um, They'll get some uh, scene movement for sure. And it, it's not quite... I don't think I'll be swinging, although it is overcast as hell, but it's not necessarily warm. But um, I think they'll be able to rip through them. And then, to be honest, it might be a quite a nice batting wicket if it heats up later on. You know how we can kind of be deceived by our wickets, can't we, Smithy? I, I think it is yeah. quite firm underneath that deck, so they might be able to score some runs before the day's up. Good on you, mate. Okay, um, have a terrific day at the cricket. Enjoy the bacon and egg pie. Uh, we'll be back very shortly. We might be able to get some uh, odds too uh, from Pip now that the toss has been made on the cricket. There'll be updates there. So uh, Pip Morris very shortly. Your field, summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Paul Mawadi's joined us this morning and uh, we are pretty happy about that because uh, I'm sure they're taking notice of the toss result down there in Christchurch at the TAB. Tim Southey, uh, successful. Any betting on the cricket? Yeah, well, um, look, over the overnight and this morning, we did take a... We bit of cash the way of the Sri Lankans who are now seven dollars and thirty cents to win the first test. Uh, the Black Caps aren't without their friends though. They're now a dollar nineteen, and a number of multis uh, include the Black Caps uh, to win that first test. Um, I'm just looking at some of the power plays, uh, and there have been a number that have been uh, very, very popular with punters. Uh, usually ones uh, that feature Kane Williamson, uh, one that's paying fifteen dollars. Kane Williamson to score a. Century and Tom Blundell, who's in the form of his life to score a 50. That's paying $15, and that's for the first inning. That has seen a wee bit of support. Also, I'd like to point you towards the Players' Championship, which kicks off early tomorrow morning, our time. Uh, we've got a golf bonus back promotion on that, Smitty. Plays a pre-tournament outright winner bet. Uh, and if your player doesn't win but finishes inside the top 20, 
will refund your bet up to $50 as a bonus bet. I can tell you, in that outright market, winner market, the most popular golfer at the moment with punters, Rory McIlroy, who is $10 to win the Players' Championship. Uh, John Rahm has also seen support. He's at $10 as well. And Scotty Scheffler, who's at $11. But Ryan Fox isn't without a a bit of support from the Kiwis. He's our fourth best back golfer in that outright winner market. And he's at $176 to win the Players' Championship. Um, So... Obviously, his finish in the Arnold Palmer last week was very, very encouraging. Um, And if he can bomb it down that fairway and keep it out of the water, water features in a number of holes at the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass, then he'll be in with a chance uh, to at least finish in the top 20. So, yeah, they're the top four golfers that have been backed so far in that Players' Championship. Make sure you get on before that tournament starts early tomorrow morning. Paul Moati, as always, uh, thanks very much for uh, helping us out and uh, giving us those odds, particularly on the golf. Don't forget there's uh, NRL action tonight. The Panthers are at home to the Rabbitohs, uh, betting on that. A full weekend of Super Rugby coming up as well. Uh, And coming up for us as well, basketball. Basketball, because it's Game 3 tomorrow night. It's back in Sydney. uh, And to uh, preview it for us will be uh, basketball commentator Nathan Strempel. That's after the news here with Aroha. At uh, 11 o'clock, New Zealand winning the toss, bowling first in Christchurch. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Okay, well, a very important appointment uh, tomorrow night in Sydney. That, of course, is between the New Zealand Breakers and the Sydney Kings. It's Game 3. Uh, of course, the series is tied one apiece. Um, we need to get uh, across to uh, Australia and talk to Nathan Strempel. Of course, Nathan will be one half of uh, our commentary, talk, calling the game alongside Tom Garlop uh, for SEN and SENZ listeners. So uh, one apiece um, on the back of neither side at this point being able to handle uh, the occasion at home, it seems. So good morning to you, Nathan. Smithy, thanks for having me again. No, great to have you back, Nathan. Uh, look, uh, Breakers captain, long-time stalwart uh, Tom Abercrombie admitted they played stressed in front of uh, a sold-out Spark Arena last weekend. I'm not quite sure whether I get the, the gist of that. How do you get stressed when you're someone like Tom Abercrombie who's been around like forever and won championships? He, he's had some big game experience, hasn't he? Uh, he was exceptional in game one. Let, let's start there. He, his length, picking up Derek Walton and, and disrupting there was brilliant. What a fascinating series. And, and we're only two games in. Both good road teams that have gone and taken one on the road to make it one apiece. Uh, and maybe there's a bit of emotion there for Tom and the whole team. Spent a couple of seasons away from home. They're back in the big dance. They're up 1-0. Would have been incredible if they got that game to them up 2-0 and, and maybe it got to them. But uh, you've got to think they'll be ready to go come game four with Spark Arena. Smithy, you've got to tell me, how are they fitting more in? I thought it was already sold out. Now hearing that they're changing the alignment of the stadium to actually fit more people in for, for game four. We can stretch stadiums over here. You know that? We're a, we've got the ability. We've just got <laughs> these gigantic. <laughs> just push them wider. Put more seats in. I love that. The Kiwis just find a way to get it done. 
Absolutely. We muck in, as they say. Hey, now, speaking of stadiums, uh, they say um, that, uh, Nathan, uh, it's sold out at Kudos Bank Arena. How, does, how many does that mean? Well, they're saying that the all-time record's in danger. So for the first time this season, they're taking all the curtains down. So Kudos Bank Arena's got three levels. And it was wild in game one, and that was 13,000. But the all-time record, we're talking, forgive me, I don't know the exact number. It's north of 15,000, 16,000. Um, and so the, it, they sometimes have a curtain around the very top level or, or part of it. So they've got that curtain down. They, they're saying the all-time finals record, they reckon, is done deal. But the all-time record was when LaMelo Ball came to town with the Illawarra Hawks a few seasons back. So... It, it was wild on Friday night. I don't know how it came through on SENNZ, but uh, we couldn't hear anything in the stadium. It was one of those games where you're putting your cans on and just going, I hope this audio is making it through because the Sydney crowd were just willing the team to get it done and New Zealand just had answers the entire way. It came away from game one going, I don't see how Sydney can, can turn this around, let alone minus Xavier Cooks and minus Derek Walton Jr., Sure enough, though, um, game two is a different story. So fascinating to see what will play out come game three. You mentioned those two players, Derek Walton Jr. and Xavier Cox. Um, Xavier Cox had some uh, unbelievably good news uh, during the week with a signing by the Washington Wizards. Uh, what is the injury status on those two players looking forward to tomorrow night? So Cooks has come out and says he's 100% available. Uh, I imagine you get the same news from, from Walton. It, it was nothing structural. It was a cramp in game one. But look at the uh, the dance, right? They ca- they come out to suit for game two. No doubt the breakers have scouted for a Kings team with, the, with their two highest scorers and pretty much arguably their two most influential players. And they only play a handful of minutes each. And so they say they're fully available, but it, is that part of the chess match? They come out and they're still hampered. So Cook's been carrying an ankle from the second last game of the season and now got multiple corkies in game one and and you think look a week long a corky comes back but if you remember a few years back Bryce Cotton missed the whole final series from multiple corkies in the same spot so just the degree of severity no one knows they're keeping that close to their chest but I think they'll both play and and further to Cooks what a great sign of how good this league is another player straight out of the NBL signed to the NBA Xavier chose not to go play summer league last year, going, if I'm going to go to the NBA, he's got a young child, he wants it to be a full contract, and went and played in the New Zealand NBL, won the, the MVP there, and so straight out of the NBL, signed to go to the NBA, to a team that's playing pretty well, but I wonder how that affects him during this series. So he's carrying a couple mm. of niggles, he's going to want to be fully fit. Not that he wants to win a championship, but also, he's living his NBA dream, he's not going to want to limp over there, so... How much does he, if a cork here and ankle is bothering him, how much pain, how much stuff does he push past to get the job done? So I, I think we'll only know once they take the court for game three. Okay, so Justin Simon uh, was uh, pretty epic uh, in game two, um, leading with six steals, in fact, six steals, which were crucial in terms of the turnovers. Um, who else impressed you uh, with the absence of those other two players? Was a, it was a job done by committee, and, and to give him credit, Justin Simon was, was really good in game one too, when, when Cooks was, was hampered and, and Walton Jr. went down. Simon was really playing a lone hand, trying to drag the Kings over the line, so he's really the early favourite there for the um, grand final MVP, you'd have to say. 
and then for the Kings, it was a bit of kind of work by committee. We saw their, their second unit. They've, they've trusted in big moments all season, come to the fore as a collective. Jordan Hunter played some big minutes, 10 rebounds. Angus Glover was really good. Same with Sean Bruce in the absence of Derek Walton. They both carried a lot of those point guard duties. And then Kuwait Noy, he came out on a podcast ahead of game one and, and declared in no hesitation, we're winning this championship. I'm born for the big moments. It wasn't significant in game one, but game two he stood up, played 30 minutes, had 20 points and was a big factor for the Sydney Kings. There's been criticism of the breakers um, and their shooting. Uh, they were very, very cold uh, in terms of that. What are you... Uh, are you... Worried about that from the breakers' point of view? Do you think they can shake that off? I think this is the beauty that you get watching a five-game series. And Now, in game one, they shot the lights out. Early in the game, they had 10 guys on the score sheet. And it was Will McDowell-White just having his way with the Sydney defence, playing off that high on-ball screen. They were in the drops coverage. So Will just had room to make decisions when they try and double him or try and help onto Will, he's finding open shooters. And, and you saw all through the breakers roster, they got good opportunities. Not, not the case in game two. Kings changed a bit of the way they covered it. But no doubt there'll be adjustments again in game three. Uh, I'm not worried about the breakers at all. They're in the hands of a, a fantastic coach in Moddy Mayor. I'm sure he'll make adjustments for game three. Maybe the biggest one is this, this ace in the pack of Barry Brown Jr., third in the league in scoring. He's done it off the bench all season and that creates uh, opportunities because, and I mentioned it to you last week, the Kings know he's coming, but they're sort of, who are they going to leave on the floor? How are they going to cover him as he comes into the game? Maybe at some point in this series, maybe it's tomorrow night in game three, Barry Brown jumps into the starting lineup, just changes a bit of a look, forces the Kings to go, do we send Justin Simon to Will McDowell-White? Or do we send it to Barry Brown Jr.? So that's a little of the chess match we'll see play out over time. Rightio, in terms of the, um, the thinking of the coaches now and your assessment of the coaches' performances in the final, because we know Chase Buford has been there and done that. Um, so he knows um, the situation he's in. How do you think Modi Mayor is, uh, is coping with the whole thing? Well, it's, it's widely spoken about it, about Maldi's uh, military background. So I, I, fair enough I, to say I think he's executed under high pressure if he served in the military. So I have no doubt he's ready to go. He, he's shown himself to be brilliant all season and really versatile in, in what the team needs. As an assistant coach last season, you saw him go, well, the role they need me to play is to be really uh, excited and up-tempo and really bring the energy for the group and early in this season he was saying you know as a head coach now my role's a little bit different I don't necessarily need to bring that juice and yes I have no doubt he's got what it takes and and Chase similarly like they got convincingly beaten on their home floor in game one the Kings made some adjustments in game two down two really important pieces came out and got it done so I'm sure both coaches will have something up their sleeve but like I am so fascinated to tune in for game three and to see who it is that stands up this time. You talked about Will McDowell-White and what an excellent game one he had. He's off contract after the season. Um, apparently the rumours are swirling around where he'll go next, including southeast Melbourne Phoenix, maybe uh, the Brisbane Bullets, even uh, the Perth Wildcats. Hutchie might get the checkbook out for him. Uh, is there a team that you see uh, as, best, as a really good fit for him or is there any chance you stay at the Breakers? 
Well, when you talk really good fit, what a great season he's had at the breakers and you see what a great system. And he's repeatedly talked about how good Moddy has been for his game. And that's right from the start of the season. You saw in the fever window, Will had uh, played brilliantly. He was a key part of the Boomers side that, that won through to the World Cup. And, and I think I said it on the call in game one. I think Will, if he hadn't already played his way into a Boomers spot for that fever World Cup coming up late in the year. So I think any team would be crazy not trying to suss the interest of Will McDowell-White coming to their team. And if every any if there is a team in the NBL that are not inquiring, then I, I, I don't think they're... I think they're negligent. But I think he's a great fit at the breakers, so there's every chance he could stay. But but no doubt uh, uh, if a team's got some salary cap space, they're, they're probably stretching that, trying to get a Will McDowell-White to get uh, such a versatile and elite point guard that it plays as a local in this league. Is, is a great piece. You saw Perth Wildcats for years with Damian Martin had that there. So, And it's the same with the Breakers during their successful season to have these key local pieces, Tom Abercrombie, Mika Vakona, that, that don't have to play as an import, that are elite studs in the league. And they're pretty valuable. So I think every team would love a Will McDowell-White on their side. What, a, what? Okay, gut feeling. How do you see this one tomorrow night? Gut feeling. I, 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 the game tomorrow night? Well... You made me look silly last week. I said, I said I saw the Kings and they just got completely outclassed. And then I just said I didn't see a way that the Kings can turn it around and, and they managed to do so. So I'll come back to what I felt ahead of game one and say that against a record-breaking home crowd, the bright lights on, I, I see the home side in the next two. So I see Sydney finding a way to get game three done and I see New Zealand finding a way in game four. I'm really looking forward to now to be proven wrong. But how about this This series deserves to go to five and, and to see record-breaking crowds in three and four. How good would it be if we see it come back to Sydney in a game five, everything on the line in one game, uh, in what is really shaping to be a, a series for the ages? Mm, I think there's a lot of people over here would like to see it go to four and uh, not worry about a fifth back <laughs> over there. But that's just... Let's just pie the pie. Hey, I would imagine you're studying the NBA relatively closely as well. Um, in terms of this uh, Jay, Morant, uh, Jay Morant saga at uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, of course, uh, we're vested interest in that with Stephen Adams, who apparently told the kid, don't be stupid. Um, but uh, what are you reading into this Morant thing and bigger bearing what it have on his basketball future? Bearing in mind, he is one of the hot talents uh, in the NBA. Yeah. John Morant has the world at his feet. Uh, and, and the only thing that stops him is his body lets him down. You, you remember an elite Derek Rose and when he was winning league MVPs. And I look at Jar similarly. He just has his like plays with reckless abandon, throwing himself at the hoop. And sadly, it was injury that pulled Derek Rose down in his prime. And we hope that's not the future for Jar Morant. Uh, but he needs to sort himself out off court. And we've seen so many stories in the NBA that... Uh, elite talents fall away because of off-court stuff. Now, sometimes that's poor choices about the people they have around them, and maybe that's the case for Jar. I, I haven't looked into it closely, but I, I just hope that gets sorted. And in what is a fantastic up-and-coming organisation, the Memphis Grizzlies, and, and what a brilliantly talented young group they've put together, no doubt there are good people involved. You mentioned uh, Stephen Adams, highly respected around the league as a veteran presence that is... Um, a protector and enforcer for young players. So hopefully Stephen Adams is is one key person that's in his ear and helping him out because you just want to see him on court doing great things. 
Yeah, absolutely right. I think it's a very balanced uh, view on the whole thing, but I think it's very, very sad in a way, to be honest, that um, his influence uh, around a basketball group can be one thing, but his private life influenced by others uh, can be so sadly going awry. But uh, that is that. It's the way of the world and the way of the big money and uh, those sort of groups. It's uh, 11.17 here on SENZ in New Zealand. We thank you, Nathan Stremple. We look forward to... Your call tomorrow night on SENZ over here, SEN over there. Uh, and um, I reckon now uh, we'll, uh, we'll be hearing you in Game 5. There you go, as well. Well, yeah, look, here's hoping. But you know what? To, to a New Zealand audience, uh, I'm sure they'd be super excited if they get Game 3 and they're playing for a championship in Game 4. I, I will give one more thing on Jar Morant there because I know you've got young listeners. I love Kevin Durant said it. It's a, it's a widely used phrase that they say, um, hard work which beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And, and you see so often super talented players don't make it to their potential because of they don't have the work rate or they make poor decisions off the court. So um, hopefully young people are going to realise that and they see the sad scenario with Jar and they see him turn it around in, in a way that sees him reach his potential. Well said, Nathan. Uh, appreciate uh, appreciate those thoughts. and. Uh, your view on uh, Game 3 tomorrow night in Sydney. Enjoy the atmosphere at Kudos Bank Arena and we shall enjoy listening to your call. Cheers for your time. Thank you. Cheers, Smithy. Appreciate it as always. Yeah, thanks, uh, Nathan Strimple there uh, out of Australia. Calling the game uh, alongside uh, Tom Gallup tomorrow night. Uh, there'll be plenty of atmosphere there um, and plenty of atmosphere and interest in the call as well as the breakers look to uh, get back what they lost last week, which was the advantage uh, playing at home. Uh, they weren't uh, good enough, it seems. It is uh, coming up to 11.19 here on SENZ. To help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's uh, 11.24 here on SENZ, which means they've had 24 minutes of play down there in Christchurch. Sri Lanka batting first, they are 10 without loss. Uh, Fernando has all 10 runs. Uh, Karun Ratna, the skipper. Only face six deliveries in 24 balls and uh, 24 minutes, and he is not not out. Uh, the opening bowlers, of course, uh, Tim Southey and Matt Henry. And we heard yesterday, of course, that the Black Caps are going to um, auction a couple of uh, playing shirts out of the Test match in Wellington to raise uh, some money for cyclone relief, etc. Uh, and now there's a move uh, that you're hearing about uh, Logan in, in rugby. Yeah, uh, and this one you're going to have to get on quick because the auction closes at midday today. It's all running on Trade Me. Just search Cyclone Gabriel Fundraiser Super Rugby Pacific jersey signed by the New Zealand teams and the Fiji, Fiji Enduro up for grabs. At first I was looking at it, I was like, oh, how do I pick? Because you have the Blues jersey worn by Mark Talia, the Chiefs jersey worn by Sam Kane. The Hurricanes jersey worn by Billy Proctor, the Crusaders jersey worn by David Havili, the Highlanders it's Shannon Frizzell, and for the Fijian Drua it's Tavita Hikarinaviri. And I was like, oh, okay, so how do I pick one? No, you're bidding for all of them, all in one. And right now it's at $6,000 and it's all the proceeds there. Uh, I believe the Crusaders are facilitating this and all proceeds will be donated to the Red Cross Disaster Relief Fund. So jump on Trade Me Now, look that up, because you only have like 35 minutes to get in there. Wow, okay. I would have thought that. Um, I didn't know about that. So how well publicised has it been? Now, I would have thought 6K is pretty light. Pretty light, to be honest, for six jerseys, yeah? Yeah, that's what I mean. I think it's quite a steal, Smithy. Uh, if you're a collector or 
I don't know, say you're someone who's opening a bar and you want to decorate your bar walls with some awesome memorabilia while also helping uh, the struggling communities getting back up from Cyclone Gabrielle. This is an awesome way to do it. It is an absolutely awesome way to do it. You've got six walls covered there with six uh, jerseys. Uh, it's 11.26 here on SENZ. Uh, just running through the rest of that uh, Sri Lankan side. Quite a powerful batting side if they get half a start. They're 11 without loss. Kusil Mendes at three. Uh, Narishan Dikwala listed to come in at four. He's the wicketkeeper batsman. Angelo Matthews, uh, Danayaya De Silva, and then Dinesh Chandamal, who is a fair player, a really good player, Dinesh uh, Chandamal. He's got runs against New Zealand before. Uh, then the bowling attack consists of uh, Kasuna Rajitha, Asitha Fernando, Prabhath uh, Jayasalia, and uh, Lehiro Kamara. So uh, that is a pretty strong side. So New Zealand will be wanting to make the most of the fact that they have won the toss yet again. Tim Southey seems a lot luckier um, than, of course, um, does uh, Kane Williamson when he had the role. He just couldn't win a toss. Unbelievable. So uh, that is the uh, situation there. Uh, yep, we uh, talked uh, earlier to um, uh, the Wellington Phoenix, of course, uh, Sean Gill, who's uh, in charge of uh, their high performance uh, and their academies, etc. Just for a reminder that uh, for Aucklanders in particular, people in the, the football fans in the Waikato area as well, or maybe north of Auckland, Phoenix against the Sydney Football Club is uh, fifth against sixth. That is at Eden Park, and that is on Saturday. Uh, sorry, on Sunday at 3 p.m. Sunday at 3 p.m. So uh, that's uh, well worth getting there for, Logan. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a lot going on this weekend. Uh, I know the Waitamata uh, Football Club are having their open day as well Sunday morning, so not clashing with the Phoenix. So if you want to have a good little uh, after good Sunday of football, that's the way I go about it. Go to White, go to the Waitamata uh, FC's open day, kick some balls around. I believe there's some prizes. You can kick the ball at the goalkeeper. There's a free sausage sizzle going on. And then uh, head along to Eden Park. Oh, that sounds like a great Sunday, Smithy. It does. Great family Sunday. Uh, just uh, I'd love your perspective on the Breakers game as well because you've been courtside uh, doing uh, some work for us courtside. Of course, um, uh, the Breakers against uh, the Kings. I'm not sure about this. I'm a little less confident than I was in game one. Yeah, well, I hope to do more courtside during the uh, sales NBL season. That was a lot of fun. Great learning experience. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. But then also, you look at the way the series has gone so far, the way the Sydney Kings versus the Breakers have gone this season, the away team has won every game. I mean, surely at some point that breaks, you know, that kind of streak. I think it all comes down to, like, Xavier Cooks has said he's fit to play, but really how much do you want to push it when you've then also got to think about, okay, well, after the uh, AMBL, I'm off to the NBA. Do you really want to push it that much? And then you've got Derek Walton Jr., unknown yet about his uh, fitness levels and whether he'll be able to play because he went down so hard in game one with a what was an almighty-looking cramp. hate to imagine how painful that was, and he played even less in game two. Sure, the Sydney Kings were able to get up and they showcased some of their depth and, you know, Quiet Noy had a great game. But I think the Breakers would have been hurting after this one, Smithy. And I think they've got a point to prove. When there were too many players that just went cold all at the same time, they're going to want to really get up. You want, you know, Tom McCrobby, this is your time to really show, you know, if it's your last season, who knows, get up, perform, 
and just show the breakers, the breakers nation, what it's all about. Ryan Rapier, he's got to, you know, the scouts will ha- all have all eyes on him as well. He wants to perform. Will McDowell White, he's playing for a contract. There's just a lot to go on, a lot of storylines to follow with this final series, Smithy. I don't think the breakers are done yet. Don't count them out. Okay, right. Uh, thanks very much for those uh, thoughts there. Uh, I think this is huge. Uh, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think they lose that. I, I can't see them winning two uh, in a row to get out of it. So uh, I've just got a, a weather report from Fairley. Uh, raining here in Fairley. Uh, it came in from the southwest about 100, that's 100 miles from Christchurch. Not good in, good, looking good for a whole day's cricket. So uh, thanks very much uh, for the update there. Um, here's from Mark. How is Mark feeling about, um, we've hinted about Razor and uh, we talked about Joe Smith a little earlier in the show. Uh, if Razor doesn't get the AB coaching job, Mark says, uh, that will be it for me with rugby, apart from the Crusaders. I won't be watching no more all-black rugby and will concentrate on 100% on the NRL. 100% on the NRL. So we know there's a lot of passion for Razor down there uh, in the Christchurch area. Um, uh, the, uh, well, Scott said, I think we'll drop Bracewell for... Tickner didn't happen. Race will win. Um, will Young out. Henry Nichols batting at four. More responsibility for him there. Can he handle the occasion this time around? Uh, so uh, plenty of texts coming in. We'll look to perhaps in the next half hour read them out. But in the meantime, of course, it's 0800 150 811 is the number. 0800 150 811. It's time to stump Smithy. After the news here with Aroha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. And we're back to our usual 11.30 time slot after we've we've jigged and jived a couple of days. Kept you on your toes. But we are playing for a $50 TAB bonus bet today. Smithy, I'll give you the category soon. I'll give the contestants the category soon. It's been a. I'm just going to give you a bit of a pep talk here, Smitty. I was putting together your uh, radio award submission yesterday, and I ended it with us giving away three hundred dollars on Stomped. I would love to get back up to that. That was such a streak you were on. It was incredible. Let's do it again. Okay, I've got a um, a tip for you then. Give me some questions I know the answer to, and other people don't. So there you go. <laughs> That's the only way I can see us getting out of this. All right. I hope Brian's listening. Okay. He's taking notes. He's taking notes. Brian, good on you. All right. Well, first, yeah. okay. first at the crease. <laughs> Reed yep. from Gore. Come in, mate. Oh, no, not Reed. G'day, Logan. How are we? Oh, I don't like this matchup at all. Uh, Reed's just a wee bit too knowledgeable for me. So um, we'll, we'll give it a go. What are the subjects for Reed this morning? All right, Reed. You've got soccer, football, rugby union. And basketball, take your pick. Uh, we'll go rugby union, eh, Smitty? Okay, then. Let's uh, let's go for that, Reid. Let's go for that, rugby union. Hmm, right, question one. All right, good luck. It is all based around the most recent super round of super rugby. Held in Melbourne... And you saw the Chiefs beat Moana Pacifica 52-29 and claim their record for the fastest try scored in Super Rugby history. Donning down in less than nine seconds into the match. Who scored that try? Oh, didn't watch that game, actually. Um, I'll just take a guess. 
with, say, someone like Damien McKenzie. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah, McKenzie 10, not a bad shout, but not the right answer. Smithy. Well, I think it was uh, Ramaka Puehipi. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, and you were worried about Reed. Back to the pavilion you go. Simon from Hamilton, you're up, mate. How are we today? G'day, Simon. How's it going? All right there in the Tron? Tron, yes. She's looking pretty warm up here today, but cloudy, but we're all good. Okay, good luck to you. All right. Okay, rugby for you, mate. Question two. Super rugby, second question. How many points did the Queensland Reds score in their demolition of the Western Force during the Super Round in Melbourne? Oh, I'm like Reed, I didn't watch the game, but uh, I'm going to go 54. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. I reckon that was a big, really big score um, because it got a headline, and I think I remember reading something like 73-7 or 73-something. I'm going to say 73. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You're really, really, really close. 71. Oh, no. (laughs) Good man, but there was just a conversion. (laughs) (laughs) Good one, mate. Yeah, good on you, Simon. Rightio. All right, last question for you, mate. $50 TAB bonus bit up for grabs here. Which New Zealand team received the most yellow cards over the Super Round? Uh, mm, I think it was the cheat. Just for a for a bonus point, can you say how many? I want to say three. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Well, if we had more than just the $50 TAB bonus pet together, I think we'd give it to you, mate. Yep, Chiefs and three yellow cards over the weekend, Smithy. Really? I would have thought the Hurricanes lined them up with a, a couple of yellows and a potential red, etc. But um, no, that's fair enough. Okay, so Chiefs again. Uh, Chiefs just, this weekend, yeah. I can see two sitting in the bin in a, in a little... Uh, um, shot of the TV the other day and I thought it was Cortez Rata and I can't remember the other guy probably Jacobson he likes to have a sit down every now and again but yeah a, <laughs> I just picked three I'm not sure why well done uh, okay Simon well, you're the winner you're an absolute winner again I think you've got me before so you've got me again um, so yeah. uh, you stay there and uh, Brian will confirm your details Chiefs this weekend I think against the Highlanders and Highlanders without their captain and uh, their all black halfback as well, follow Fokotava. So, Chiefs march on, you reckon? Pretty handy replacement to come back in at nine, though. So, I think the Chiefs will win, but like someone said earlier in the week, you've got to win uh, the games you're supposed to win, aren't, haven't, don't you? Yep, you have to. You did right there. And you just won the game you had to win to get 50 bucks. So, yep. have a terrific day. So, Simon, thank you very much, mate. Thanks, Mavie. Yes, uh, Simon from Hamilton, the victor this morning. So, yep, we'll only be playing for 50 bucks again tomorrow. And it's been a very poor, a very poor week uh, from me in particular. 14 for 1 is the score down there in Christchurch. Tim Southey has the early wicket of Fernando, caught by uh, the very reliable Tom Blundell. And uh, he's gone. So, uh, Southey 1 for 7, Henry Nunn for 7.
Karuna Ratna joined by Kusil Mendes at the crease and uh, that is a good start again, winning the toss, bowling first and getting the early breakthrough. 11.40 here on SCNZ, we'll be heading to the sports desk when we return. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Oh, all sorts of funny things happening down there uh, at Hagley Oval with uh, reviews, appeals, etc. Um, and uh, still 14 for one. So uh, Mendes survived uh, an appeal there on uh, LBW with uh, Tim Southey. So uh, let's head across to the sports decks before uh, something else happens down there, uh, Logan. And what uh, are you coming up with today for us? Yeah, well, <laughs> Southie's lost one review. I'm glad he didn't lose a second one there, but uh, going for it. All right, so the New Zealand All Whites have named their squad for the home series against China. Interim head coach Darren Baisley has named a squad for the two home games in Tamaki, Makoto, Auckland, and then Wellington. Uh, the 24 squad sees Callan Elliott earn his debut for the All-Whites after a strong season with the Wellington Phoenix. Max Mata and Alex Rufa are being recalled to the squad as well for the first time since 2019. Defender Tommy Smith will be in line to earn his 50th All-Whites cap as well if he plays during the series. This is the full squad. Carl Adams from the San Diego Loyal. Costa Barbarossas from Barusas, sorry, from the Wellington Phoenix. Joe Bell, not Al Joe Bell. Uh, who plays in Denmark Michael Boxall from the Minnesota United Liberato Kakache from Empoli in Italy as I mentioned before Kellen Elliott Matthew Garbett who plays in the NAC Breda in the Netherlands Alex Grieve who plays in Scotland Cam Howison for Auckland City FC Dane Ingham for the Newcastle Jets Eli Just AC Horsens in Denmark Clayton Lewis with the Phoenix Stefan Marinovic Unattached, still not with the team. Wow, Max uh, Matter as well. Callum McCowett, Tim Payne, Nando Janaka, Marco Rojas, Alex Rufa, Oli Sale, Tommy Smith, Marco Stemanich, of course, he plays for FC Copenhagen in Denmark, Chris Wood, and Declan Wynn. Very strong side, Smithy, I would say. Very. Very big squad too. It took you about three minutes to read it out. I know. I was, <laughs> I was, I uh, was looking. At it, I was like, "Wow, twenty-four names. It is quite a big squad." It is a big squad, and they'll have uh, some great uh, experience in terms of the coaching too. I was just reading about uh, Simon Elliott, uh, of course, joining the coaching ranks along with uh, former goalkeeper Glenn Moss. Rory Fallon's already been there, and that's to uh, work with interim coach Darren Baisley with uh, an all-white coach still yet to be confirmed. So uh, there we have that. Radio uh, Logan, what's next? A uh, fun little thing that happened last night here on ECNZ. Of course, we have our super rugby shows that are good friend of the show here, Ricardo Ball hosts. There was one that he does with the Hurricanes, and there was a very special caller last night. This is how that went. This is Hurricane Valley, thanks to Chemist Warehouse. The Real House of Fragrances. And we've got a uh, long-time listener, first-time <laughs> caller uh, joining us on the show, Gordy. Uh, um, uh, 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 Steve from Auckland. Uh, come in, Steve. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I just uh, just really wanted to say how outraged I was on the weekend with uh, Artie Sevier's uh, throat-slitting gesture. I, I can't believe he only got one week. Should have definitely really happy he got one week, but I think he should have got more. 
Why are you happy you got one week, Steve? Uh, it's because, um, you know, I haven't seen such an act of thuggery since Richard Lowe <laughs> broke Paul Carroza's nose back in the, back in the late 90s. <laughs> so, I de- yeah, yeah. I'm really happy. Yeah, really. Just on behalf. Just on behalf of everyone in Auckland, I'd like to uh, thank the uh, judiciary, judicial hearing for the amazing work they've done over the last few days. Yeah, well, okay, Steve. Hey, listen, thanks very much for your call. Hopefully we can hear more from you after 7.30, eh? Go to the Blues. And <laughs> that, of course, was Steve <laughs> Devine. Oh, cheeky halfbacks. Don't you love him, Smithy? That was fantastic, actually. And, of course, the reason why uh, he's happy and uh, all Auckland Blues rugby fans are happy is because Artie won't be fronting up against them uh, this weekend, which is uh, a massive game, I think. Uh, the Blues, who have been really the, the team of the last uh, couple of years in terms of uh, day in, day out, I think, what, 15 from 17 they are now? Um, they are, are looking mighty, mighty strong. And this is um, this is a big fillet for them not to have to go up against... Um, Big Philip for them not having to go up against uh, Adi Savia and that uh, Hurricanes pack, Logan. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can just hear the uh, excitement in Steve Devine's voice there. So just make sure you uh, check all the Super Rugby shows coming through on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We all good stuff there with Ricardo. Great guests. We were great guests. Uh, and here's a little uh, scoop that uh, just comes through to my attention. Uh, Tiger Woods is embroiled in a legal legal battle with his former girlfriend, Erica Herman, who is reportedly trying to overturn a non-disclosure agreement that she claims he forced her to sign. Wow. American entertainment website TMZ reports a private trust run by the golfer is trying to aggressively enforce the NDA following the end of their five-year relationship. Her lawyers are reportedly arguing that the NDA is unenforceable because of an exemption when there is evidence of sexual assault or harassment. It is unclear if Herman, 39 years of age, is accusing Woods, 47 years of age, of any particular wrongdoing. Uh, both TMZ, uh, TMZ and the New York Post report that Herman's documents say the NDA is an unforceable act because of the new Speak Out Act, which provides the exemption. There is no official news of their split, though they have not been seen together in public since the US Open tennis when they were together back in August last year. Hmm, that's interesting. Ah, food for thought there. Good old Tiger. Uh, 11.52 here on SENZ.